0: Hey, thanks for listening to Made In. This podcast is hosted by me, Jasmine, and my better half, Evie. And we are two Asian Canadian women in Toronto talking about current events, culture, and society moments. We hope that Made In is a safe living room space where you can feel like you're sitting on the couch with us and joining in on the conversation. Thanks for being here. Please welcome to the podcast, Matt Brooks. That's Matt with two T's and an E, just like the Matt finish to your moisturizer. Matt is a community and content creator, lover of celebrating identity, wellness, fashion, design, and all the intersectionality that comes with it. With a decade of experience in the social and marketing industry, working with names like Grinder, Youth to the People, Human Race Skincare, and now at Folks Health a queer and trans telehealth company that provides empowering and affirming health care. Matt is an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, and as a queer Filipino, we're excited to hear about his journey, coming in to accept his Asian American identity, and more. Welcome!
1: Oh my gosh, that was the nicest <laughs> intro I've ever gotten in my entire life. Thank you for that. Oh my gosh, I'm honored, you're welcome. I'm honored to be here.
2: Oh my God. I actually, I'm just going to say for a lot of our guests, because we get really thorough with the bios. And also, some people record bios after the guest is there. So they don't, they don't actually get to hear it themselves. But sometimes our guests are like, oh, I can't believe I did all that. So I hope you know yeah, you're an amazing you person. That. And we're I, really lucky to have you
1: on the I show. I did it, Mom. Look at me. I'm here. Be proud of me. Be
2: proud. <laughs> So we start off every podcast with a similar question and you can take it philosophically. You can take it extremely literally. It's up to you. So where are you made in?
1: I love this question and I'll answer both parts. I'm made in the West coast. I'm a West coast kid at heart. I grew up in Oregon, California and Washington are the only places I've like mm. lived permanently. And I'm also made in community and friendship and mm. relationships, the relationships that I foster. I think I owe a lot of my my growth as a person to the people that have been there to support me and help me come into myself. And were always there to understand me. So I community and friendship is definitely what I'm also made in.
0: Wow, love that. Um, to kind of kick us off, um, st- to share a little bit about Evie and I, we both share a similarity that we grew up in a very predominantly white communities, and kind of love to hear about, you know, it's quite common to have a lot of backstories like that, where we didn't have that many minority representation, and wanted to see what that was like for you, um kind of finding your Asian American identity growing up.
1: Yeah, I mean, hardcore relate to that. And I, I think listening <laughs> to like, it's so true, listening to your podcast, too, I feel like it's just so refreshing to hear other people that have had the same experience mm-hmm. as me because for so long growing up, I was one of the handful of people of color and was usually the only Filipino Mm -hmm. growing up in a small town outside of uh, Portland, Lake Oswego, really small, affluent white town. I grew up on the outskirts of town. Um, So not only was I like the poorest of the neighborhood, but also one of the more brown people. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it was like a mixture of like assimilation and survival and feeling like this struggle of like not feeling brown enough and feeling too ethnic if that makes sense mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I would meet other Filipino Americans and because I'm mixed I'm half white half Filipino I didn't feel like I fit in with that community because they were like you don't speak Tagalog you don't know how to you know you haven't eaten these traditional foods you've never been to the Philippines so I was like no I haven't unfortunately and then I'd go to school and I'd be like what's Filipino Like you look Latino, or, you know, I was new to my high school and I was described as being like the new kid that's like some sort of Mexican. Um, Oh my God. I was always labeled that, you know, even in middle school, it was there were either like the white kids, black kids, um, a few Asian people. There was no Southeast representation and there was a lot of Hispanic community. So I just really didn't feel like I fit in with any of those communities. Um, And it was always just a struggle to understand who I was and feel like I had sort of, some sort of connection with myself even. Like that internal Mm -hmm. struggle of like, what, do I even know what being Filipino is? Because I feel so unrightfully removed from that culture being second generation. Um, You know, my parents or my mom was first generation Filipino American and my grandparents were immigrants. And their first Mm. instinct was assimilate and understand how to survive in in this country. And because of that, like my, my mom can understand Tagalog and was more exposed to Filipino culture than I was, but I feel even like more removed from that. Um, and I'm still trying to learn more about my culture every day and taking it as like, yes, I'm 31 and I'm an adult, but like it's never too late to come into your identity and learn more about your culture as you get older. And I'm, I'm taking those steps now, the older I get to really continue to find myself.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what me and Jazz talk about all the time as well. And it's like, you know, now I go to Chinatown to try to relive a few things of my roots, whether it's through food or whatever, just because those little, those little things really help. And even for Jazz, you know, I mean, she's immersed in a lot of Korean culture and also just teaching us about, you know, the different types of foods. And it's like such a rewarding thing to do with your friends when you get to learn that and you're allowed to own it. I think that, though, speaking to a lot of mixed race people, it's so difficult sometimes, like you said, like, oh, not white enough or not Filipino enough. And like having that feeling while also I imagine in high school being someone who what, didn't fit that heteronormative ideal, like, you know, just already having that layer, too. So you're really living through and are a living representation in high school of like the layers of how different things are. Right. And so I feel like you can tell me about the high school experience. I think that's really important because I think that's where your parts of you are pulling away. But you're also like, I can't. I'd stay in this box to be safe. Were there any like specific things you did to try to like, I'm, I'm not I'm not gay. I'm not in the LGBTQ community. I'm not Asian. I'm like so white. I'm cool. Whatever. Like those kind of things. I feel like. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tell me about that. I want to know.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost like embarrassing looking back on like the jokes that you kind of just like took part in and like, oh my gosh, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to laugh about this too. So I'm in on the joke (laughs) and I'm not the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. And like the shit that we let slide. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why did I let that happen? Why did I like put myself in that position to to fit in and to like, feel like, yeah, I'm cool too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think the heteronormative side of it too. I mean, high school and even earlier, I feel like I grew up in in such a place that wasn't welcoming of that unfortunately like i remember being a kid in dance class and i loved dancing mm-hmm. and this was like kindergarten and they put makeup on us and my dad got so pissed mm. that they put me in makeup that he pulled me immediately out of the class dragged me out and was like you're not doing this anymore and like threw a fit and i'm like because of your heteronormative ideals and upbringing of what you expected of me I was sheltered from embracing a form of creativity that was really fun to me. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. to this day, I'm like, I could have been a backup dancer for <laughs> J-Lo, JLo right now. And, oh now, God. God. and now I'm not, or Ariana or someone. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not living my full truth as a backup dancer because <laughs> <laughs> of that upbringing. But especially in high school too, it was like, there was like maybe one or two other out kids mm-hmm. and I distanced myself from them because I was like I don't want that association of being like he must also be gay and it was definitely this like I don't know suppression of myself Mm -hmm. and I'm sure my friends and family and everyone would have probably been accepting of it but I didn't feel like I had that space to fully embrace myself at the time unfortunately and I'm really envious of like Gen Z and youth today that have Mm -hmm. you know more pride in who they are and there's there is no expectation to be straight which is kind of cool like that the norm is like i'm still figuring it out and i'm exploring it and it's like why did we have to come out and be like i'm coming out as gay and like why can't people have to come out as straight or like exactly it just was yeah it was definitely a struggle and i'm really proud of how far i have come today um of embracing my identity and i'm also just really proud of the kids today that are really just owning for themselves too. When I didn't feel like I had that space to do it, it's really admirable to see the future really just like paving the path and being so far almost advanced when it comes to like owning their identity or exploring their identity and giving themselves the space to explore that.
0: Yeah. I think aside from Euphoria being like the best TV show that's come out recently, (laughs) just seeing how expressive they are about, you know, Fluidly talking about, you know, being trans or, you know, exploring your sexuality like that to the point, like, what we need to really prop up Gen Z for. I mm-hmm. think that's something really important work that they're currently doing. Um, But, you know, obviously, when we were growing up in high school, there was zero representation of Asian to begin with, let alone the model minority and just like the awful stigma around what Asian men was supposed to be like, Mm -hmm. and also having no representation of like queer Asian men. Wanted to see if your coming out story uh, was any different or if there was any challenges or, yeah, what your experience was like Um, It's because you are an Asian man and especially in um, an Asian family as well.
1: Well, My coming out story was kind of uneventful, to be honest. Like by the time I came out, I was 21. Like I was a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, yeah. We know. Yeah. We love you. Like, oh, that's cute for you. That that to <laughs> I told my dad and he was like, I was wondering if you knew yet. And I'm like, of course uh, I fucking knew. Yeah. I just didn't tell you for years because I thought you were going to me." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. My mom was super accepting. Everyone, I luckily had a very positive experience coming out because not a lot of people do. And so it was really refreshing to have like a safe space to come out to. I think it was... I still was working through things though, as a young person coming out with my identity and like the internalized homophobia that I Mm -hmm, mm have of like, not wanting to have other gay friends and this sort of crowd mentality conversation that you've had on other episodes of your podcast. I relate to that too. Like I would see other, uh, queer people, Brown feminine boys and be like, I'm the only one in the room. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I am that person and I've like earned my spot here. And Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like I was restricting myself from that community for so long because in Oregon, I mean, it's a super white place. And I went to university of Oregon too. So college was also super white. Mm -hmm. So having a couple other people that were kind of like you, I wasn't really embracing it. I was like, you know, I want to be that one, but moving to LA and having that experience of like diverse culture and identities everywhere is where really where I feel like I started to thrive and come into myself more and find more of my community and feel like this, these are my people and I'm ready and open to connect with my people a bit more. Yeah, I've been living in LA for 10, 10 years now. And I mean, I can't imagine living anywhere else because I feel like this has really allowed me to like sort of blossom being here.
2: Yeah. And I think that idea of what you had said, um, you know, the chosen family, which I want to obviously hear more about, you know, when you first landed in LA, I would love to know like where, like, not where did you go, but like, where did you meet your people? I think that is like a really important thing. And also knowing that in a journey of years, your people, you know, sometimes things change, right? Your people don't become your people anymore. And so I think one thing that I absolutely think heteronormative people need to understand is that LGBTQ people and plus aren't all the same. Like, I think that there's still this idea of that. And especially when you go into people of color as well. Right. So there's just so many margins and there has been a lot of discourse, of course, around, you know, like white gays and how how different it is. Right. And I think that people don't Mm -hmm. see that, especially still in our all our systems and healthcare. So what you do right now in the company that you are, it's so important to understand those kind of um, details, which is what we're getting to. And I think honestly, people like you and your chosen family and your crew made it easier for Gen Z to be this way too. Mm -hmm. Right. So recognizing that, like, I wish I grew up like that as well and had that openness. I didn't learn that until like you, I was like 21. And I was like, I feel free. Like, I didn't have to be stuck here. Like, it was great. But they are able to do it because I think uh, like people like you do pave the way for it. So please recognize that. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me a bit about like, once you got to LA, like, what was it like? Like, the scene obviously changed. And like, what were your first moves there?
1: Oh my gosh. I vividly remember my last day in Portland and my first day in LA because they're just such different places. Like leaving the Portland airport, you're like, everyone's in their North face and their Patagonia and their Birkenstocks (laughs) and they're mostly white. And you land in LAX and you're like, literally no one looks the same. No one is dressed the same. No one is speaking Mm. the same language. Like to me, that was like, I was so happy and I felt liberated to be in a place where it was like, so many diverse identities. So that was a vivid memory for me, but I just, I kind of gravitated towards the beach. So I would go to the beach often because it's beautiful. And I made friends with this crew of kids just playing volleyball Mm -hmm. who are all people of color. I'm still in touch with them today. Some of them, uh, you know, one of them just moved to Japan and we've just been staying in touch with each other uh, over the years. And it's been cool to like, have that first group of friends that really helped me kind of come into the LA world um, and see them grow. And we're all going down our own paths. But yeah, like you said, like, you know, certain people come into your life and they come and go when you need them and you kind of figure out who to hold on to, who's real community. And like a city like LA, I feel like it does take a second to find your place yeah. in your community. Yeah. I mean, I had friends from college that also all kind of migrated down here and I had to make this conscious decision of like, do I want to keep staying in this bubble of mm-hmm. friends that I grew up with there? Or do I want to allow myself to expand my horizons a little mm-hmm. bit and meet new people? And I had to intentionally put myself out there and just mm-hmm. start going to queer events, to gay bars. Like Naturally, that's where like social, social gathering happens yep. within our community. Um, so just meeting people through that and then just really putting myself out there and letting myself be a little uncomfortable and meeting strangers. And I feel like that, really was just so rewarding. Because if I was to just stay in my bubble of friends who are amazing and they're still here and they're still my friends, but if I wasn't, if I didn't allow myself to break out of that a little bit, I don't think that I would have really been embracing, you know, my true self as much.
0: Yeah. Also, with all the the decade of experience you have working in the social and marketing industry, you work with really great brands that I feel is has already from the start been aligned with maybe your values and like what you seek for in a company, which is kind of harder for like speaking for myself, I really chase the paycheck Thinking about like the company values was like such a secondary thought. Even to now, I feel like it's still something that I'm navigating. And, and I think especially the reckoning of all the things that happened the past year, really diving into like, what does the boardroom look like? The company that I'm spending 40 plus hours killing yeah. myself for, are they going to raise up for me when I need the support? So I wanted to see, you know, working at Grindr, Youth of the People, Human Race, um, was kind of making sure that the, the company that you're investing in shared the same values, something that was always in the forefront when you're kind of deciding where you want to go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's such a privilege to be able to make that decision and to just, you know, to be picky and be selective about like, I only want to work somewhere that shares my values because not everyone has that privilege because you do need a paycheck and you need to make money. And Oftentimes you take jobs that maybe you don't love with people you don't love because you need to survive. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel really lucky to have worked at the brands I have because they they do share the values that I have. Um, Grinder was a crazy experience. I can't like, imagine. It's the most wild <laughs> experience ever. Yeah, it's, it was fucking wild. <laughs> like I think it was, the cool part about it was that it really, it was such a sex positive place. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it really taught me the the vast world of like relationships and um, identity and like how people can love and feel love, whether it's physical or emotional and whatever. And that was just a really cool experience to learn from the community, um, you know, that side of things. And then, yeah, I don't know, like when I went there, it was I was very much like this brand has baggage. Like mm-hmm. literally, like no fats, no femmes, no Asians mm. is a, is what people would put in their yeah. bios to say like I, if you're feminine, I'm not into you. Yeah. If you're fat, I'm not gonna date. If you're Asian, don't talk to me. And it was horrible. I mean, there's like literally songs about it. Um, there's a famous drag queen Kimchi who was on yeah. Drag Race that made love a song her. about it.
0: Yeah, love Kimchi.
1: But I went in there and the first time they brought me in, I was like, I don't know if I want to work here fully. And and um, the second time they brought me in, I was like, I only want to come here if I can help increase diversity here and mm. to push the dialogue. And they were very open to it, luckily. Um, my team there was incredible at the time. We were really trying to be as inclusive as possible with everything, our marketing imagery, our messaging, the stories we amplified on social. So I do think like, I was at a lucky time when we were able to push that visibility in such a major way for such a big brand and same at least to the people like working in the wellness and beauty space was Really fun.
2: Yeah, I man. love
1: skincare products, and I love beauty. Products. Free oh my god. The amount of free products it. it was it was like unhealthy. Yeah. I was starting to just give it away to all my friends because I was like, I don't I'm hoarding this shit and I'm not gonna use yeah. it. It's just gonna expire. You
2: were that friend <laughs> um, though. You had the plug to yeah. all the products. You're like, uh my face yeah. is breaking out. And you're like, I got you. I have like five of these. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. I would come to like the group dinner and with a bag of products, but it was really fun and used to the people an amazing brand. They've always been really inclusive um, with their, with their brand and they really genuinely support communities too. I think with like their give back components and with all the initiatives they do um, and who they partner with, it's like always top of mind. So I think they're a pioneer and, pushing that conversation within the wellness and beauty space of like, here's what real skin looks like and Mm -hmm. what real skin texture looks like and on a variety of different people, um, which for so long in the history of beauty and skincare hasn't been that way. It's really cool to see these new brands kind of pave the way for inclusivity. And there's still a lot of work to be done, but to be able to work at a brand and push that conversation every day was really rewarding.
2: I just want to make a note that I was looking at like the stuff, like what the years you were at Grinder, and I'm really seeing the changes because obviously my uh, one of my closest friends, uh, they they were the first one of the first users of Grinder, and even the way he was telling me about it, he's like, well, I'm white passing. He's also like half Asian, but he's white passing, so it's like, so I'm good. But this place is really. Toxic, like it's extremely toxic. But I really saw a big difference, like just talking to him and him, like talking to him and also seeing the app and then seeing Grinder in the news and in the media. I saw that sh- I saw a shift. I still think obviously nothing is perfect, but I think your influence and plus the people who were with you there, like where they did the different campaigns, where we had, uh, you know, trans rights are human rights, you know, and th- those kind of Grinder campaigns. Um, I thought that was that was something that was seen, like even you know just to me too. So I thought that was such a great move and that it's amazing to meet you that you were part of that you know big change i also want to ask about you freelancing for the oscars like Mm e-entertainment doing social posting Mm -hmm. because i'm in social too and we always try our best (laughs) to get a human voice but my question is even just like more like I'm so happy they chose you because you come from, a, again, a place with so many intersectional knowledges. And, like, you aren't just going to give us the lame, like, Oscars. Here's, what are you wearing? Here's the fit. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, whatever. That's why I think they hired you, you know? Like, I think that you ha- you brought that to the table and it was seen. So can you talk a little bit about doing those kind of freelance things and picking up those projects and then seeing, I guess, Like and I know followers and everything is just something that it's there, but it it matters, right? When you get jobs like this, so when it was growing and when you saw, oh, I could be really me and be really fun with it, like with this Oscars red carpet. I was reading the tweets and I was like laughing, just happy that there that was someone spoke my language, if anything like that. Um, how are those kind of jobs? Like, it's kind of are you allowed to be almost like free to be almost who you are and like just be funny the way you are and stuff like that? I know there's a balance.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a balance. It's it's always like, what can I get away with? Yeah. <laughs> and I was try to push it. Like, what can I say that you're going to say yes to? And sometimes it's like pushing a little too far and seeing if like I have to scale back. It's just like a, you know, you just have to feel it out a little. I remember sitting in the room with the whole, t- the E team that day and I was like live tweeting and drafting tweets. And literally the person was approving them next oh, to me. I see. And I'd like type something up and like, like, I'd be laughing and I'd be like, what do you think of this? And she's like, we can't say zaddy. We just can't (laughs) say zaddy. And like,
2: but but, but he
1: says that. Come on. And so it was, I always try to push it because like, it's social. Have fun with it. That's the internet. Like if you want to be stuffy and boring, like maybe it's not the place to do it. But if Mm. you're talking about like fashion on the red carpet and you're celebrating these great identities, like have fun with it and like speak the language. Um, I will say they didn't always know who was coming through. I'd be like, Oh my God, this person's amazing. I love this actor. And they'd be like, who is that? I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad that I'm here <laughs> yeah, to like, you yeah. know, <laughs> yes. try to, you know, cause if, if not, who knows if like the you know, Asian visibility or POC visibility would have gotten that tweet or would have gotten, you know, mentioned yeah. on the Twitter feed. So that was a, that was a fun project, but live tweeting is always really stressful too. Um, I don't think I've, would do event coverage i don't i steer away from event coverage like that now because i've done it so much earlier in my career and i remember we used to cover even a grinder we had a queer media outlet called into and we would cover every major like the grammys um the oscars all of those and we would have a a war room which they called it and we would Mm -hmm. just be there like pushing out content literally writing editorial pieces as they go up about a speech or an outfit or something oh my god and just reacting to culture in real time which is so hard so Stress exhausting, stressful. <laughs> stressful. Yeah. Um, but also it was a cool experience, like, you know, coming from the ad world and marketing world to going into the editorial yeah. world a little bit, like having that, um, that freedom and playfulness with the work was fun.
0: Yeah, it's so easy for us to drag all these like content that's being pushed out. But like, you don't know the worth that goes in. And it's like, yeah, so much pressure. Like, is this going to land with people? It's almost like, do I beg for forgiveness after? Like, I'm sure that mental stress was like a lot too. Um, but kind of going into your current job right now, working for Folks Health, like it sounds like it's like such a good combination of everything you stand for that you want to advocate for and your genuine passion for it. We'll have to see if you can kind of give me a bit more under um, explanation about what it is that you guys do there.
1: Yeah, folks health is awesome. It's just so cool that it exists. It was created out of the need for queer and trans people to have healthcare or access to care that was a- affirming and supportive. Unfortunately, the healthcare system is fucked. Yeah. And it, it doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's benefiting? <laughs> Especially the most marginalized of the most marginalized people who are, you know, trans people of color yep. and people of mm-hmm. queer people of color. So... You know, it, and and the health insurance circuit and system is so hard to navigate. Um, it's expensive, like having to go to certain providers to get certain types of care, or getting recommended to someone else to get an appointment somewhere. It's intentionally confusing. Mm-hmm. So, in the world of telehealth, it's it's a cool innovation because it's your one stop care place where you can sign up for membership, speak to a clinician who is LGBTQ. We work with all queer and trans um, clinicians and they're all queer and trans competent. So they understand everything about your healthcare needs, um, which is rare, not all doctors know that. (laughs) Um, And also I think the the virtual aspect of it is cool because it's like from the comfort of your own home. You know, I think with the pandemic, we realized we can do a lot of stuff virtually in addition to providing care for people, which is pretty cool that you know people in care deserts places in Arkansas and Texas in the middle of the US which are not gay friendly or trans friendly yep. you can make an appointment online with someone who is going to mm. fully accept you and want to provide the best care for you so i feel really lucky to work at a place like this cuz i think it's super innovative and it's so needed in the world with it comes the burden of like hate and people that don't (laughs) accept you like working the social media space and censoring those comments and monitoring that shit it's like the turfs are out there and i'm like who has the energy they do just spread hate like who has
2: the time i know i can't even imagine all the stuff that you see you know again working at a newspaper is different but when we do have stories on anything surrounding lgbtq plus like just anything we're we're we know we're gonna get like just shit, you know, just shit well, if anything about, you know, systemic racism, we're talking about racism, same shit. So like, if we're talking about all these layers, it, it, yeah, it's hard to look. And that's why I think, you know, like we had just said, like being that social person is actually being the front line. Like you really have to upkeep, like, you know, the image, the brand, be funny, be human, but at the same time, face and see all those horrible things where people literally could be just like, I fucking hate you, you know, people like you. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting behind there being like, well, I got like, I don't care, but like we got to keep doing this. We got to keep pushing it. So especially in the pandemic, I think people really, obviously everyone had a great, I think a lot of people had a great realization or if not picked up new hobbies or something like that. I wanna, I'm curious personally, with you like was there anything big in terms of growth or even just in terms of learning something about yourself like working from home it doesn't even have to be profound like really i started watching k dramas that's that's it like there there are some there are some other things i definitely picked up but like uh that's one thing that i was like oh i i fucking love k dramas like that's something i learned so in this pandemic and now almost like i think in the states you guys are seeing the end pretty close Almost
1: almost yeah shit's opening up
2: yeah no <sighs> masks indoors cdc who knows what's- <laughs> oh my god are they okay
1: <laughs> i don't know i'm like who do we listen to like I'm, I'm confused i'm still wearing my mask outdoors but
2: but for yourself personal growth in this year in any way like what what have you observed
1: i think on the professional side I've landed back in the LGBTQ space for a reason. And I think mm-hmm. it's because, you know, working in the world of beauty, it got kind of like, what's the point a little bit? Mm-hmm. Like there's a million moisturizers in the world yeah. and I'm losing sleep over how, an Instagram post over moisturizers yeah. right oh now. Like, God. is that, is that, is, what, that, is that what, I, <laughs> is that my life right now? Is that how I want to go out on this planet of like how <laughs> i really stressed out because of fucking skincare yeah. and i love skincare so i'm not this is no shade but i i really it made me realize like what do i want to do with my purpose and time mm-hmm. on this planet and for me that was i want to try to help people as much as possible i literally mm-hmm. made a vision board and i'm reading it right now cuz on my wall oh, it I says love that.
0: Oh.
1: it says make a difference queer family turn social media into a positive influence um, well-being, like all of those things. And I, I did this vision board at the beginning of the year where we were still in the pandemic. Yeah. And I was like, I want to make these things happen for myself. Um, and it came to fruition through this job and it's coming to fruition every day with my push for like wellness for myself, yep. still working on it. Um, you know working in social and working remote like it's really stressful and I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm like I said at the beginning of our call like having a slight identity crisis so I still feel like I'm kind of coming into these like moments of myself right now adjusting to this new reality but definitely getting back to working with community was the biggest change and learning how to deal with stress and cope with stress when it gets really bad unfortunately I think it's like you can't always avoid stress. You can't just eliminate stress. It's part of our life. Yep. So it's like, how do you manage it? For me, it was like realizing when to take a step away. Breath work really helped for me. Mm-hmm. Um, online meditation classes are a thing. They're really great. There's this brand called Open. Mm. And it's a great resource for people if you want to take virtual classes. Going on walks, my daily stupid Same. walk, which was so, it, I love it. And it really helps me feel... A bit more grounded to like remove myself from a screen and just like go literally smell a flower outside which is so (laughs) So stupid but but I was like okay cool there's a whole world out here that's like happening and like my little bubble of stress is not the only thing that matters and so having to remind myself of that and um remind myself of the bigger picture it's it's something I had to work on a lot through the pandemic.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't believe the fact that you would have to like, have the thought keeping you up at night that Oh my god, is this moisturizer going to be okay? Like the content <laughs> is not going to go out? Okay, like that's such a funny context. But um I mean, you yourself have so much social media um, presence as well. And you know, there's obviously like conversations about like, is Instagram going to be still sustainable in the next five years? Is TikTok going to be a new thing? Like everything is so changing rapidly. Want to see like, if you have any advice for, you know, our listeners, like getting social media fatigue and just doom scrolling and just constant content, someone who is on the expertise side of yeah. social media, um, what are some tips to kind of protect your mental peace, uh, health and everything on moving forward?
1: oh my gosh, get off your phone sometimes. <laughs> like, even though it's our jobs and we have so to do hard, it, like, yeah. you have you have to take a break. You have to give yourself that space and set boundaries to, like, get inspired by stuff happening in the real world. Um, I think there's this reversion back to smaller niche social communities. Like, you see Clubhouse coming up and it's really mm-hmm. cool because that's authentic conversation and it's super, super niche um, versus Instagram, which is kind of trying to be mass appealing. It's all about like getting the most engagement and appealing to as many people as possible. But I, I think that's, that's fading. And same with TikTok, It's like going back into these little micro niche mm-hmm. communities of like mm-hmm. your algorithm being super specific to like, you like K-dramas? We're going to show you only TikToks about oh K-dramas. My God. It's
2: crazy. Or like yeah. you're
1: Filipino. Here's a whole Filipino <laughs> no. stream of content for you, which is amazing. I think their algorithm is so smart. And I, I love TikTok so Me much. Me too.
0: Oh my God. I didn't <laughs> want to admit it, but I am. It's cool. It's the best. What's your TikTok algorithm?
1: My God. My TikTok algorithm is a mix of like style, TikTok fashion, like mm-hmm. the stupid transition, outfit transitions, which mm-hmm. I love, um, Filipino stuff it's super queer. Um, what I'm seeing a lot of too is like parody and comedy of like people of color. Yes. Joking about like white.
2: Yeah. Normativity and like really move. flipping it.
1: Yes. Oh my God. There was one where it was like these two cute, like Gen Z um, BIPOC and they were like, Oh my God, I got into it like, invited to like a white wedding. Like it's only like for a couple hours. Like it's like kind of like, Parodying how someone would talk about like an indian wedding or an asian (laughs) wedding, and so it's so cool to see these kids really embrace it and flip it because it's like obviously offending people (laughs) but it's like this is what we've been growing up with our whole lives like sorry you're offended but this is how y'all have been speaking about us forever so what
2: hit my algo recently was that you know the dance like a white woman trend i i'm, yeah. I'm yeah. crying like they're so good like they're so good it's so accurate yeah <laughs> and i'm like i want to try no. to do that but we all know how to do that because we've seen it we yeah. thought that was cool or whatever
0: i've done it
2: <laughs>
1: i know i saw that and i was like do I like it? Yeah. Oh my, oh, my
2: oh my god i'm so
1: <laughs> embarrassed
2: <laughs> please god no um also a mother a filipino mother son do i love i think everyone knows them it's like Taco takoyaki soba i don't know which the mom's just super funny and super filipino but she's like super she's out here she's hilarious i don't know if you know that exact user person but they're really funny and i would love to have them on the show at some
0: time there's such good content out there
1: is it the filipino mom who has like a gay kid yes yes and they talk about that yeah I saw one where they like found their sex toy or yeah. like vibrator, and the mom was like, "What is this? Like playing yeah. with it?" Oh
2: my god! You're like, "Oh my god, I what love a mess!" It. I think
1: it's bringing families together. Yes,
2: <laughs> in in ways, and like you're right, it gives us that tiny discourse and space. I love my algorithm. I mean, I want to change like some when I when I'm like, "Whoa, how the fuck did this get on my page?" I'm like, "Okay, wow." Like let's skip that quickly. Mm-hmm. But my TikTok algorithm is great. What's yours, Jazz?
0: Mine is a lot of like. Movie reviews. Um uh, something that's random is dog grooming. I love watching dog grooming. It's so wow. satisfying. And I, I, yeah, yeah, I do mm-hmm. <laughs> It's really weird. Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of cooking videos and yeah, sometimes I get like um my I think it's sad because you really do need to dedicate like the first couple of days to like figure out your algorithm. Like my boyfriend still gets like girls like shaking their ass. And he's like, I just feel so weird. Like I can't do this. And I was like, you gotta push through, babe. You like you're, go gonna there. Get there. you're gonna get there.
1: <laughs> you gotta just hold down your screen and say yeah. not interested. Yeah. <laughs> There's a way. But it's, I don't know. As much as I love TikTok, it's also, it is a toxic place. All yeah, social platforms have like the toxic communities in there. I remember I made a TikTok during Um, the pandemic and it was I was very proud of my work Had such clean transitions the very end of it I was wearing a a harness and it kept getting taken down because Uh it was yeah and it was I mean I I could see the numbers growing within 10 minutes I was like this is 80k views in 10 minutes like I'm gonna go viral I can quit my job (laughs) and like whatever checks
0: coming in
1: Yeah, it's like TikTok <laughs> partnerships welcome, but it kept getting flagged after like an hour because I was wearing a harness at the end and it violated their community guidelines. But then you see these girls in like thong bikinis or like mm-hmm. straight guys shaking literally their dicks on camera yeah. through their sweats. Yeah. And I'm like, How is this allowed? Yeah when I can't like, you know, wear a cute harness, which is just fashion to be honest. put yeah. on the red yeah. carpet. That's- Everyone's wearing a harness and that get flagged. That's yeah, so TikTok weird. admitted that they were um, censoring content Mm. um in an article i was reading recently and i also saw an article on them which is a queer media outlet a study that said that like all social media platforms are not great for the queer community which is sad. Mm. um so as much as i love social in the world of it and it's it's you know i I think there's still a lot of work to be done
2: for sure and i think the queer community runs all the channels like i mean like in terms of making good original creative content like imagine the, from imagine it. the app was hetero like this is not for us like that would be crazy oh my god it would not live do you
1: follow like bretman rock bretman rock is my I love favorite bretman person rock. on the internet yeah, he's amazing yes.
2: he's so, so funny good. and he's just uh he's out here but he also talked about how he was becoming more comfortable about being funny in himself and filming himself outside where it was like so weird before so I think it's like with people like him, imagine being a young Filipino kid who wants to do that. And you're like, oh, he did that and he's killing it. Like, that's amazing where I think that's why me and Jazz started this pod, because we wish we had something like that open. Mm -hmm. And like, especially with what you're doing as well, it's just like having those little TikTok spaces or whatever spaces is so important, knowing that social isn't the best place. So, I mean, are there any last words or any last things you'd like to share with us?
1: I wrote notes. So let me just look through my notes oh my to God, see if there's anything. It.
2: This
0: is a Virgo in you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a cusp. I'm a, yeah. I'm a Libra, but like almost a Virgo. So it's tendencies are there. Yep. <laughs> I wrote something down around pride and just some things happening because it's pride month in June. Yeah. Yes. So I think with pride coming up and we're going into June, a few people I would recommend you follow on social is Raquel Willis. Chase Strangio, Friends Rado, they're amazing activists and advocates for the community. Follow them on Instagram and on Twitter just to know like what's happening in the community. There's a lot of shit happening in the news that's really bad. Yeah. Uh, Specifically, discrimination towards the trans community, taking away rights to healthcare, um, access to, you know, trans youth playing sports in school. Like, that's fucked. So fucked. So I think as we go into this moment where it's like super corporate rainbow washed, like, remember... You know, if you're listening to this, like what pride is about. It's about recognizing what got us here and the mm-hmm. activists and the people that have fought for equality, but the fight that still also needs to be done today as queer and trans people are still being literally attacked for just fundamental basic human rights. Mm-hmm. I think that's super huge and a good reminder mm-hmm. um not to be a downer because pride is also no. fun. But that is mm-hmm. like the, the core of it. Yep. Um and then also June first on Hulu, there's a new documentary coming out called Changing the Game. Um mm. just oh, plugging yes. some Projects that my friends are working on. I think this one is amazing. It's uh, it documents the experience of high school athletes, trans uh, high school athletes, and their struggles with trying to just compete and um, the struggles that they have to go through. So I'll leave that <laughs> little plugs for the queer community and and the people doing um, the work. And um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else. I'm just was. It, honored you asked me to be part of this
0: oh my gosh no we're more honored that you agreed i'm sorry that i bombarded you with my dm but honestly (laughs) that worked that has worked really well for me and guys don't worry we'll um, write out all the resources that matt shared with us so you guys can definitely go check it out i heard about Change of the game and i'm so excited to watch it so thanks i didn't know when it was going to be coming out but with that being said thank you so much for spending your day with us chatting this was such a great conversation i'm sure we'll be staying in contact seeing all the amazing work you're going to be doing and continue to amplify
2: more Asian stories and beyond thank you.
1: thank you thank you
2: thank you so much for listening to Made In email us at hi at immadein.com we're also on Instagram and Twitter at made In underscore thank you again